your story Fill up the pages Sing a little song Keep me around Keep me with you Right by your nightstand Keep me around As long as you can Hey, hey, howdy, howdy, hey, hey, howdy, howdy, everybody It's me again Tucker, and welcome to another episode of ADD Storytelling, the podcast in which we explore the myths and legends of our time in no particular order and sometimes with less than perfect focus. I am joined, as always, by our diaphanous host and the dream seamstress of a wife I call Maddie. Maddie, how's it going? Um, hi. How's it going? How's it going? Yeah. That's what I asked you. Oh, it's going fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So having a uh, thing with my face, but otherwise perfect. It seems that we're both having face things going on right now. Is it? allergies? I don't know. Well, mine's because I just rubbed peppers in my nose while cooking. About right. Thirty minutes ago. Various orifices were infused with pepper chemicals. But what's going You're really on? Really good you? at doing that. I am. Very talented when it comes to I just, don't know what it is. I chop peppers and then touch my whole body. You should really wear gloves or something. Nah, I don't know. It makes me feel alive and sad. <laughs> uh, see, so, what you got for us tonight? Speaking of cooking, what are you cooking up? Huh? 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 You cooking up something? Uh, so Did you today, light, light some coals, some cinders, some some embers? What you got? Today we're talking about Cinderella, which uh, cinder. which you knew, which is why you said all that. Basically, we're talking about the multicultural aspects of Cinderella and its variations in different contexts throughout the world. Now, I had no idea that this was a tale that had numerous in- inca- incarnations, incantations, incarnations, iterations. Iter- there, there's the that's the ticket. Iterations across cultures. Like, what are we talking? Just different uh, tellings throughout Europe, or different tellings throughout? You know, Eurasia? How how far does this span? Like, where are the similarities? I would say that it's every continent. Ah, like has, dragons. Yeah. And it's kind of like Cinderella is its own structure, right? Like, the structure of the story stays the same in many different cultures. And so we're going to talk about that structure and then the different variations in different places. And then I'm going to read a couple of my favorite ones. Now, could you say that Cinderella is dragons? No. Okay. Well, We're going to do dragons. Don't you? You just wait. I'm worried. We're going to do dragons. So, yeah. So, in lieu of you ever doing a dragon episode, we get Cinderella. So, let's, let's move forward. Right. So, as always, we're starting with our sources for today. Mm. Yay. Mm. So That's weird. That's different than last week. <laughs> So we've got sacredtext.com about the burnt face girl. We've got a PDF of Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters by John Steptoe. Yishin by Eileen Louie. The story of Tam and Cam from Vietnam.com. Vietnam.com. Slash EN slash culture la. And then Multicultural Cinderella Stories by Mary Northrup, which is on ALA.com. So... What is the structure of Cinderella, you may ask? I wasn't. But yeah, tell me, what's the structure of Cinderella? (laughs) Is it a three-act play? Is it a hero's journey? What do we got? So, 
the basic Cinderella story is rags to riches, right? Everyone's like, they're in a rough spot, etc. So, you know, in general, orphaned, living with step family, or etc. And usually of pure heart, working hard in one way or another. Yeah, I, I, get, I mean... Then we've got the ball festival or event that gives the opportunity for the rags to riches. <laughs> the ball festival. <laughs> and a wish to go to the event, yes, granted by something magical. There's like some there, sort of transformation a or a time limit or conditioned, stuff like that. Um, the girl's true nature and assisted beauty is seen by the king or rich person and they're wed. To the king isn't usually to the prince? Prince, king, whatever. The step family's fate and happy ever after for Cinderella. That's essentially how it goes. Is it always a step family? It's usually a step family. Really? There's usually a step family involved. It's like an ingrained folkloric tradition of just resenting one's step parents. Well, that crosses cultures. I guess it's trying to give a. Like, my, my stepmother kicks ass. She's a damn fine person. But are there those throughout the world that just, like, uh, present them to the point where uh, they blander and just paint them to be demonic forces of evil to the point where it just becomes ingrained in one's culture? Is that what you're trying to imply? No, I'm saying that in this story, like, there's some, like, otherness where Cinderella doesn't belong in the same way. Hmm. Okay. So I thought it would be fun to highlight how many different versions of this story there are by kind of going through the structure and then saying all the different things that happen in that one structure in different parts of the world. Okay. So, first part, orphaned, etc., stepfamily, whatever. Yes. Rudipus, which is the quote-unquote oldest Cinderella version, is um, an enslaved girl living in Egypt that there's no stepfamily. Been enslaved. Just undercutting yourself immediately. I'm just saying. There's already variations. Okay. In Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters, Nayasha is the Cinderella. Must put up with a nagging, bad-tempered sister. From the Zuni tribe, an orphan girl who herds turkeys is later rewarded for her kindness. For um, her what? Kindness. Ah. In Ashpet, from Appalachia, the maiden is a hired girl who works for a widow Hooper and her daughters Myrtle, Myrtle and Ethel. So... Like a maid. It's an Appalachian one? And then there's a Mexican domotila. The emphasis of the story is on domotila's accomplishments as a cook and leather artist. Um, <laughs> and then there's also a Jewish tale. Marilet, a rabbi's daughter, is driven from her house when she tells her father she loves him the way meat loves salt. <laughs> so these are all the meat do alternative, salt. alternative variations of the beginning part. Wait. And then there's the European the way, one the, where there's the, a mother and a stepmother. Is there a union described as the way meat loves salt? Because <gasps> cause salt preserves meat. Is that the subtext there? If you we'll salt have to meat, read the story, huh? Salt, if you salt meat, though, meat lasts forever. Salted meat never go bad. That meat lasts a fortnight. Yeah, perhaps her loving statement was misunderstood because usually the main character is very kind-hearted. She'd be made bacon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's beautiful. So now we're at the ball festival or event that gives opportunity from rags to riches. You really need to hit that uh, comma harder. I'm sorry, love. 
<laughs> I'm hearing ball festival or event. This is the second time. Ball, pause, festival, festival or event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I know you meant to say that, but. Domatila. She That's depends. from Mexico. Yes. She depends on her mother's spirit and legacy to guide her rather than a godmother. And in the famous European one, it's the fairy godmother that grants the wish. Or in Grimm's fairy tales, there's like a tree and she makes a wish on the tree that's on her grave. I don't know. Really? Mm-hmm. In Estrelita de Oro, Arcia is kind to a hawk and receives the reward of a glowing star on her forehead. In the Moscow version, Candace is aided by a witch woman who gives her a moss gown to go to the thing. Yeah. There's also a Hmong version. Joanna is helped by a gentle cow that is really her mother. A Korean version, Kongi, is helped by animals in the field and is dressed in fine clothes to go to a party at the palace. And then a few other renditions from Asia, it's like a pet fish or the bones of a pet fish that help the protagonist. So really a lot of variations. I'm wondering, is that Southern Asia where water is more of a prevalent, like... Factor in folklore. No spoilers. Oh shit! So. Oh, by the way, Cinderella European tale that we all know, sixteen ninety seven. Cool. It is cool. That's a date. I'm coming with facts. So <laughs> <laughs> that one, in that one, the girl's true nature and assisted beauty is seen by the king or rich person, and they're wed. Anyway, it's usually like a lost shoe or sandal. In many of these tales, it's there, the Cinderella person is identified by a shoe or a sandal. Zebra stiletto. So the prince or rich person uses the sandal to trace it back to the protagonist, and sometimes the girl has the other one with her to match, further proving her identity. Is ever a croc? I don't think so. No? Sandal, different slipper, I guess high heel has happened. Well, like a croc is like Glass an slipper. alt clog. I guess so. In Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters, the prince turns out to be the garden snake that Nayasha was kind to in her garden, so he knows her true self and asks her hand in marriage. Um, Sinduri from India is identified by an anklet. In a different Jewish one, Rizal dances with the rabbi's son and poses a riddle to him, winning his heart with her wisdom. So these are all foot-centric. In Persian Cinderella's retelling by a white lady, there's a prince finds Satre through her lost diamond bracelet, and overcomes a plot by her wicked sisters to kill her. Undercut immediately. The Zulu African version, the bones of a fish who feeds Nono, cannot be picked up by anyone but her, who then marries a chief, which is very, like, you know, Thor's hammer kind of stuff. Then the step family's fate, and happily ever after for Cinderella. So Cinderella lives in comfort and is known as someone generally lovely who's kind and deserves a happy fate. In general, everyone's pretty stoked for the protagonist that they have this happen to them. Sometimes the... So the step-family isn't stoked. Yeah. Sometimes that family is punished physically by blindness or burns. Or they're simply servants in the new household of the rich Cinderella. Hold up a minute. Who is delivering these burns and blindness? In one of the European versions, which I think is the grim one, the stepsisters cut off part of their feet to fit them in the slipper, which doesn't work for very long. But it does work for a short time where the prince is like, yeah, it must have fit in there. You cut off the part of your foot and then... They realize, oh, no, just kidding, and then they ship them back home. And then sometimes they're just left in their original state, like left behind. And then other stories actually kill the family for their cruelty, which is crazy. Let's say we have the famous version, and then there's all these variations across all these cultures. And I would love to read a couple different ones. As we're recording, I'm seeing that these tales go back to the 6th century BCE. 
Yeah, so there's ancient China. And ancient Greek. Ancient Greek. Holy hell. Yep. That's wild. This archetype is like one of the oldest known in literature, I suppose you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the one that I mentioned like the- with the enslaved girl was the ancient Greek one. So the first alternative story that I'd like to read from the European one is from actually an indigenous tribe. Of Europe? No, of of the Americas. Oh. So this is an Algonquin Micmac tale collected from New England. And then this old guy just went around and asked for stories for the purpose of cataloging knowledge. Um, this is Charles D. Leyland in 1884. This old guy. <laughs> he says in his introduction that these to these tales that he can name an elder for each story, so let's just hope he didn't mess it up. But so here it is. we're just taking him as, at his word for this. Yeah. Kick ass. All right. I mean, he has an index or whatever. I don't know. Oh, it's fine then. Okay, so this is called The Invisible One. So This is from an Algonquin tale, correct? Yeah. Yes. So there was once a large village situated on the border of a lake. Namesqueek Udon Kumspeku. At the edge of the place was a lodge in which dwelt a being who was always invisible. He had a sister who attended to his wants, and it was known that any girl who could see him might marry him. Therefore, there were indeed few who did not make the trial, but it was a long before one succeeded. So he was sought after, Mm -hmm. even though he was, no one knew what he looked like? That's right. Okay. And it passed in this way. It's it's a nice niche to have, like, my husband. I can see him as being super hot. Yep. But you, yeah. Towards evening, when the invisible one was supposed to be returning home, his sister would walk with any girls who came down to the shore of the lake. She indeed could see her brother, since to her he was always visible. And beholding him, she would say to her companions, Do you see my brother? And then they would mostly answer yes, though some would say nay. And then his sister would say, Of what is his shoulder strap made? Some tell the tale she would inquire other things, such as what is his moose runner's haul? Hmm. With what does he draw his sled? And they would reply, a strip of rawhide, a green wythe, or something of the kind. I can make up anything to suit your needs. You, you marry him so I can have a friend. And then she, knowing they had not told the truth, would reply quietly, Very well, let us return to the wigwam. <laughs> and when they entered the place, she would bid them not to take a certain seat, for it was his. Yeah, and after they had helped to me. Get the fuck away. <laughs> on top of him. Oh, what? Point, she said, don't sit in his seat, because he's sitting there, right? You better not get up on my brother's lap. That's my place. And after they helped cook the supper, they would wait with great curiosity to see him eat. Truly, he gave proof that he was a real person, for as he took off his moccasins, they became visible. And as his sister hung them up, they beheld nothing, not even when they remained all night, as many did. There dwelt in the village an old man, a widower, with three daughters. The youngest of these was very small, weak, and often ill. Damn. Which did not prevent her sisters, especially the eldest, treating her with great cruelty. The second daughter was Kyder and sometimes took the part of the poor abused little girl, but other, but the other would burn her hands and face with hot coals. Yes, her whole body was scarred with the marks made by torture, so that people called her Uchigeesku, red-faced girl. Oh. And when her father, coming home, asked what it meant that the child was so disfigured, his sister would promptly say that it was the fault of the girl herself, for that having been forbidden to go near the fire, she had disobeyed and fallen in. Jesus Christ. This is, you know, that part of the story where there's cruelty. Mm-hmm. 
Now it came to pass that it entered the heads of the two elder sisters of this poor girl that they would go and try their fortune at seeing the invisible one. So they clad themselves in their finest and strove to look their fairest. And finding his sister at home, went with her to take the wanted walk down to the water. Then when he came, being asked if they saw him, they said, Certainly, and also replied to the question of the shoulder strap or sled cord, a piece of rawhide. In saying which, they lied like the rest, for they had seen nothing and got nothing for their pains. That day, poor little Uchi Gasku, the burnt-faced girl, who had always run barefoot, got a pair of the father's old moccasins and put them into water that they might become flexible to wear. And begging her sisters for a few wampum shells, the eldest did, but called her a lying little pest. But the other gave her a few. And having no clothes beyond a few paltry rags, the poor creature went forth and got herself from the woods a few sheets of birch bark, of which she made a dress, putting some figures on the bark. And this dress she shaped like those worn of old, so she made a petticoat and a loose gown, caps, leggings, and handkerchief. And having put on her father's great old moccasins, which came nearly up to her knees, she went forth to try her luck. For even this little thing would see the invisible one in the great wingham at the end of the village. I can barely make a fucking carving board in a woodshop with countless tools and countless pieces of birch, ash, cedar at my disposal. Disposal, and yet she uh, she just goes into the woods and makes a whole outfit, ensemble, with accessories out of bark. Yep. Uh, well, it's traditionally a lot of things were made from soft bark. I understand that, and still being offended. Just at how capable people were. Yeah. Truly her luck had a most inauspicious beginning, for there was one long storm of ridicule and hisses, yells and hoots from her own door to that which she went to seek. (laughs) Her sisters tried to shame her and bade her stay at home, but she would not obey. And all the idlers, seeing this strange little creature in her odd array, cried, Shame! But on she went, for she was greatly resolved. Maybe that some spirit had inspired her. Is this the origin story of Ruth Bader Ginsburg? (laughs) Now this poor small girl in her mat attire, with her singed hair off and her little face full of burns and sears, as there were holes in a sieve, was, for all this, most kindly received by the sister of the Invisible One. Like pockmarked? Yeah. Interesting. For this noble girl knew more than the mere outside of things as the world knows them. And as the brown of the evening sky became black, she took her down to the lake. And before long, the girls knew that he had come. Then the sister said, Do you see him? And the other replied with awe, Truly I do, and he is wonderful. And what is his sled string? It is the rainbow. And a great fear was on her. But my sister, said the other, What is his bowstring? And his bowstring is the Ketaksuwich, the spirit's road, or the Milky Way. Hmm. Thou hast seen him, said the sister. And taking the girl home, she bathed her, and as she washed all the scars disappeared from face and body. Her hair grew again. It was very long and like a blackbird's wing. Her eyes were like the stars. And in all the world, there was no such beauty. Then from her treasure, she gave her a wedding garment and adorned her. Under the comb, as she combed her, her hair grew. It was a great marvel to behold. Then having done this, she bade her take the wife's seat in the wingham, that by which her brother sat, the seat next to the door. And when he entered, terrible and beautiful, he smiled and said, Wajukus, so we are find out. A la joie, yes, was her reply. And so she became his wife. That's incredible. Happy ever after. Does it include that? No, but... That's the subtext of all these tales. Yeah. Okay, so that's... Uh, so, uh, so in this tale, it's kind of a... 
explanation of the Milky Way and rainbows being a bow. So the Milky Way is the is the bowstring, and the rainbow is the the curvature of the bow. No, the other way around. Rainbow was the thing that he the strap strap. Ah, that story was a really cool one, and I the one Algonquin in the bag. Yeah, that was really cool. And then the next one is from ancient China, and it's the Asian, and this is retold by Eileen Louie. I liked this one, so I picked it to read. So here we go. In the dim past, even before Qin and Han dynasties, there lived a cave chief of southern China by the name of Wu. As was the custom in those days, Chief Wu had taken two wives. Each wife in their turn had presented Wu with a baby daughter. But one of the wives sick- sickened and died, and none too many days after that, Chief Wu took to his bed and died as well. Hmm. Ye Shen, the little orphan, grew to girlhood in her stepmother's home. She was a bright child and lovely as well, with skin as smooth as ivory and dark pools for eyes. Her stepmother was jealous of all this beauty and goodness, for her own daughter was not pretty at all. Now, would this be a stepmother if it was one of his two wives? Wouldn't that just be a mother? Well, it's not her mother. Go on, then. Yeshen, the little orphan, grew to girlhood in her stepmother's home. Oh, fuck, I already read that. She, <laughs> she, 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 <laughs> Please leave that in. Please. That was such a cute... I got distracted by you, and I read the wrong thing. Yeah, no, you didn't get distracted by me. I distracted you. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) her stepmother was jealous of all this beauty and goodness, for her own daughter was not pretty at all. Nah, she's ugly as shit. So in her displeasure, she gave poor Ye Shin the heaviest and most unpleasant chores. This is pretty classic as far as going with the Cinderella in Europe. Yeah, I was making potato salad, but I decided not to cut the potatoes and just throw them in the trash. Take this trash can full of potatoes and take it down the street. Fuck you, child. The only friend that Yeshin had to her name was a fish she had caught and raised. Kick ass. Good, good for you, Yeshin. It was a beautiful fish with golden eyes, and every day it would come out of the water and rest its head on the bank of the pond, waiting for Yeshin to feed it. Stepmother gave Yeshin little enough food for herself. But the orphan child always found something to share with her fish, which grew to enormous size. Did fish behave differently in the past? No, it's like a koi fish. Yeah, I understand. Even still. The koi fish come up. Yeah, they do, but they don't really act. It's a magic fish. I I get that. Do you? No. Guess not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So somehow the stepmother heard of this. She was terribly angry to discover that Yeshen had kept a secret from her. She hurried down to the pond. The secret being the fish? That's right. Fish secrets are no go. <laughs> but she was unable to see the fish, where Yeshin's pet wisely hid itself. The stepmother, however, was a crafty woman, and soon she thought of a plan. Mm, I'm just going to fucking throw dynamite in the river. She walked home and called out, Yeshin, go and collect some firewood. But wait, the neighbors might see you. Leave your filthy coat here. Mm. <laughs> The Put the, your stockings in the hamper. Stop. <laughs> Fucking restrain yourself. Like, oh, I was waiting for you. Okay, well, I can't go if you, you keep talking. Okay. You just go ahead. <laughs> you can't do a sound. Am I? Yeah. No, go ahead. Let's <laughs> do it. You can't do a sound. The minute the girl was out See, of I sight. Did, I didn't do a sound. Fuck did I? shit, Duggar. 
I still have another one. Yeah, yeah, go. Okay. The minute the girl was out of sight, her stepmother slipped on the coat herself and went down again to the pond. Oh, wear your stinky coat. <laughs> this time the big fish saw Yeshin's familiar jacket and heaved itself onto the bank, expecting to be fed. It's a big fish now. But the stepmother, having hidden a dagger in her sleeve, stabbed the fish, wrapped it in her garments, and took it home to cook for dinner. When Yishin came to the came to the pond that evening, she found her pet had disappeared. Overcome with grief, the girl collapsed on the ground and dropped her tears into the still waters of the pond. Ah, poor child, a voice said. Yishin sat up to find a very old man looking down at her. Sorry. He wore the coarsest of clothes, and his hair flowed down over his shoulders. Kind uncle, who might you be? Yeshin asked. That is not important, my child. It kind of is. All you must know is that I have been sent to tell you of the wondrous powers of your fish. My fish, but sir, the girl's <laughs> eyes filled with tears, and she could not go on. The old man sighed and said, Yes, my child, your fish is no longer alive, and I must tell you that your stepmother is once more the cause of your sorrow. Yeshin gasped in horror, but the old man went on. Let us not dwell on things that are past, he said, for I have come bringing you a gift. Now you must listen carefully to this. The bones of your fish are filled with a powerful spirit. Whenever you are in serious need, you must kneel before them and let them know your heart's desire. But do not waste their gifts. Yishin wanted to ask the old sage many more questions, but he rose to the sky before she could utter another word. With heavy heart, Yishin made her way back to the dung heap to gather the remains of her friend, the bones. Time went by, and Yishin, who was often left alone, took comfort in speaking to the bones of her fish. When she was hungry... <laughs> the most depressing sentence I've ever heard. <laughs> when she was hungry, which happened quite often, oh, Yishin no. asked the bones for food. In this way, Yeshin managed to live from day to day, but she lived in dread that her stepmother would discover her secret and take even that away from her. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. So time passed and spring came. Festival time was approaching. It was the busiest time of the year. Such cooking and cleaning and sewing there was to be done. Yeshin hardly had a moment's rest. At the spring festival, young men and young women from the village hoped to meet and to choose whom they would marry. How Yixing longed to go, but her stepmother had other plans. She hoped to find a husband for her own daughter and did not want any man to see the beauteous Yixin first. When finally the holiday arrived, the stepmother and her daughter dressed themselves in their finery and filled their baskets with sweetmeats. You must remain at home now and watch to see that no one steals fruit from our trees, her stepmother told Yixin, and then she departed for the banquet with her own daughter. As soon as she was alone, Yishin went to speak to the bones of her fish. Oh, dear friend, she said, kneeling before the precious bones. I long to go to the festival, but I cannot show myself in these rags. Is there somewhere I could borrow clothes fit to wear for the feast? At once she found herself dressed in a gown of azure blue, with a cloak of kingfisher feathers draped around her shoulders. Best of all, on her tiny feet were the most beautiful slippers she had ever seen. They were woven of golden threads, in a pattern like the scales of a fish and the glistening soles were made of solid gold. There was magic in the shoes, for they should have been quite heavy. Yet when Yishin walked, her feet felt as light as air. Be sure you do not lose your golden shoes, said the spirit of the bones. Yishin promised to be careful. Delighted with her transformation, she bid a fond farewell to the bones of her fish. As Look she the bones! <laughs> as, she no! as she slipped off to join in the merrymaking. 
That day, Yeshin turned many a head as she appeared at the feast. All around her, people whispered, Look at that beautiful girl. Who, Who could that? she be? What's that lady doing here? Who is she? Who the fuck is that? <laughs> that looks like my grandpa. But above this, stepsister was heard to say, Mother, does she not resemble our Yeshin? Upon hearing this, Yeshen jumped up, ran off before her stepsister could look closely at her. She raced down the mountainside, and in doing so, she lost one of her golden slippers. So, super classic, lost her shoe. No sooner had the shoe fallen from her foot than all her fine clothes turned back to rags. Only one thing remained, a tiny golden shoe. Yeshen hurried to the bones of her fish and returned the slipper, promising to find its mate. But now the bones were silent. Sadly, Yeshen realized that she had lost her only friend. She hid the little shoe in her bed straw, and went outside to cry. Leaning against a fruit tree, she sobbed and sobbed until she fell asleep. The stepmother left the gathering to check on Yeshin, but when she returned home, she found the girl st- sound asleep, with her arms wrapped around a fruit tree. So thinking no more of her, the stepmother rejoined the party. Meantime, a villager had found the shoe. Recognizing its worth, he sold it to a merchant, who presented it in turn to the king of the island kingdom of Tohan. I think these are the new little Nasek shoes. <laughs> They've got a drop of blood in them. It's human blood. The king was more than happy to accept the slipper as a gift. He was entranced by the tiny thing, which was shaped of the most precious These of metals. These shoes are fucking small. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm excited to get them. They're such a limited edition, but Jesus Christ. He was entranced. Tiny little shoes. He was entranced by the tiny thing, which was shaped of the most precious of metals, yet which made no sound when touched to stone. The more he marveled at its beauty the more determined he became to find the woman to whom the shoe belonged. Yeah, who the shoe belonged to? A search was begun among the ladies of his own kingdom, but all who tried on the sandal found it impossibly small. Mr. Croc? Mr. Croc? <laughs> Undaunted. Whose croc is this? The king ordered the search widened to include the cave women from the country. Since he realized it would take many years for every woman to come to his island and test her foot in the slipper, the king thought of a way to get the right woman to come forward. I'm going to use Craigslist. He ordered the sandal placed in a pavilion by the side of the road, near where it had been found, and his herald announced that the shoe was to be returned to its original owner. We're going to have a fucking street herald yell about these nasty, nasty crocs I found. Someone just scream it out. Then, from a nearby hiding place, the king and his men settled down to watch and wait for a woman with tiny feet to come and claim her slipper. Teeny tiny feet. Who got those teeny tiny steppers? Who's got those pip-pip peppers? All that day, the pavilion was crowded with cave women who had come to test a foot in the shoe. Yishin's stepmother and stepsister were among them, but not Yishin. They had told her to stay home. By the day's end, although many women had eagerly tried to put on the slipper, it had still not been worn. Wearily, the king continued his vigil into the night. It wasn't until the blackest part of the night, while the moon hid behind a cloud, that Yishin dared to show her face at the pavilion, and even then she tiptoed timidly across the wide floor. Sinking down to her knees, the girl in rags examined the tiny shoe. Only when she was sure that this was the missing mate to her own golden slipper did she dare pick it up. At last she could return both little shoes to the fish bones. Surely then her beloved spirit would speak to her again. Now the king's first thought on seeing Yishin take the precious slipper was to throw the girl in prison as a thief. But when she turned to leave, he caught a glimpse of her face. At once the king was struck by the the sweet harmony of her features— which seemed so out of keeping with the rags she wore. It was then that he took a closer look and noticed that she walked upon the tiniest feet he had ever seen. Jesus Christ. This is a... Uh, this what? is... 
With a wave of his hand, the king signaled that this tattered creature was to be allowed to depart with a golden slipper. Come, you dumpy, dumpy maiden, with your teeny tiny little stompers. Come here! Quietly, the king's men slipped off and followed her home. Mm. All this time, Yeshin was unaware of the excitement she had caused. She had made her way home and was about to hide both sandals in her bedding when there was a pounding at the door. We want to see that chick with teeny tiny feet! Yeshin went to see who it was and found a king at her doorstep. She was very frightened at first, but the king spoke to her in a kind voice and asked her to try the golden slippers on her feet. The maiden did as she was told, and as she stood in her golden shoes, her rags were transformed once more into the feathered cloak and beautiful azure gown. Her loveliness made her seem a heavenly being. I'm like an angel. And then the king suddenly knew in his heart that he had found his true love. Not long after this... Your tiny feet and beautiful gown make me know that I am deeply in love with you. Not long after this, Yeshin was married to the king. But fate was not so gentle with her stepmother and stepsister. Nay. Since they had been unkind to his beloved, the king would not permit Yeshin to bring them to his palace. They remained in their cave home, where one day, it is said, they were crushed to death in a shower of flying stones. Okay. That's an addendum right there. Kick ass. They were killed... By a meteor shower or a cave-in. A cave-in, because they live in a cave. Well, it's a shower of stones. It could also be a meteor shower. Okay. You don't know for certain. Pretty much do. That was a rip-roaring tale. Yeah. Okay, so that was the Chinese version, which was super cool. And I loved the pet fish, and I love that she had a pet fish that was magical. So, so far, we've got the Algonquin, we've got the Chinese, and then the bullshit Euro-French story that we all know and love. I wouldn't call it bullshit. I think it's cool. It's, it's a good fine. story. It's fine. It, the My Disney, favorite... Disney version has been bastardized, I'd say. Right? The Disney version isn't great. My favorite version, actually, that's European from childhood was by Henry W. Hewitt, and it's the Cinderella version that I found to be most relatable and fun, and she has, like, a great moral center, and that's the moral of the story, is that, like, if you're a good person, then good things will happen to you. My favorite one was the Shrek version. That's like Rapunzel. The lady that marries Shrek is like Rapunzel. Well, no, Cinderella is in Shrek. She's just, like, a one-off joke. Oh. Because, uh... That other lady is supposed to be based off Rapunzel's story. Cameron Diaz? The Shrek lady, whoever. Fiona? Fiona. Don't act like you don't know Fiona's name. I forgot, because I don't like Shrek. Get the fuck out of here. Wait, what? (laughs) You know this. Perhaps I do, but I guess... You just keep forgetting. No, forgetting? No. (laughs) Choosing to forget. Something. And on that note, we're heading over to Vietnam for this third version, the story of Tam and Cam. So, once upon a time, there was a beautiful girl named Tam. She was very young when her mother died. But despite her mother's absence, Tam was a very happy girl since her father, who loved her dearly, devoted his days to raising her and looking after her. But things changed when Tam's father fell in love with a wicked lady. 
whom he married and later gave birth to a daughter named Cam. Step-siblings. Classic. Classic evil. Jealous towards the father's attention to her, Cam's stepmother and stepsister treated her badly. She was made to wear rags, then forced to cook, scrub the floors, and work around the house and fetch water every day and night. Where's dad? Where's dad during this shit? But day by day, no matter how hard Tam worked, she remained beautiful. With her hair as gentle as the wind, skin as fair as the clouds, and voice as sweet as that of the nightingales, their jealousy towards Cam grew even worse as the days passed. Attempting to get rid of her, the stepmother started sending her out on dangerous errands for hopes that harm might befall her. But every time Tam comes home safe, it angers her even more. One day, the stepmother set both Tam and Cam to fish in the river, promising to reward the girl who brings home the most fish with a pretty red AOM silk. Hey, hey, kids. One of you's gonna get more fish than the other, and that's just a fact of life. It's what we do here. Tam, fam, Cam, all you go down the river right now, I want some tilapia for tonight's dinner. I'm gonna make it into a bit of a game. Because I like one of you more than the other, but I don't want you to know that, okay? Bring home a bigger fish, I'm going to give you more love than the other. I'm just going to leave that there. Oh, no, Maddie's a yawning. Hoping to wear something beautiful for the first time, Tam worked hard to catch all the fish she could, and at the end of the day, she gathered enough to fill her basket with. Aww. Since Cam spent the whole afternoon wandering along the riverbank, she realized that her basket was still empty. She tricked Tam to wash in the river before heading home, to which Tam agreed. While in the river, her cunning sister Cam switched their baskets and hurried home. When Tam discovered that her basket was empty, her heart sank and broke into tears, knowing she could never get to wear the red silk. Suddenly, a soothing wind blew against her skin, and when Tam looked up, the goddess of mercy appeared before her. Having seen her sufferings, the goddess promised to look after her and asked the girl to look in the basket to find a small golden fish. She instructed Tam to bring the fish home, care for it, and feed it well. Another fish! Obeying what the goddess told her, Tam took the fish to the well behind their house and fed it constantly with what she could save from their food. Day by day, the fish would eagerly await for Tam as she came to bring his food. It would swim gracefully as Tam sang, and soon the fish became Tam's only friend. But the jealous stepmother could not bear to see Tam happy. She sent her on an errand, and while Tam was away, she took the fish from the well and cooked it for dinner. Same thing as a Chinese one. Except it wasn't a secret, I guess. When Tam could no longer find her fish, it broke her heart so much that she wept. That's the saddest goddamn thing I've ever fucking heard. <laughs> so sad. Again, the goddess of mercy appeared to her and advised her to bury the bones of her fish. Where's my fucking fish? <laughs> Again, the goddess of mercy appeared to her and advised her to bury the bones of the fish in four separate jars underneath each corner of her bed, Jesus. of which Tam obeyed. Fucking hell. Time passed, and news spread around about the grand celebration the king will hold. As everyone in the kingdom is invited, Tam looked forward to attending the ball. The day finally came, and everyone was so excited. Welcome to my delightful ball. No fish are allowed here. Just fancy red silk dresses. To prevent Tam from coming to the celebration, her stepmother mixed two big baskets of black and green beans together, then told her to sort them out before she's allowed to go. You better not have a basket of red and gr black and green beans. That is not allowed here at the festival ball. 
Dressed in their lovely gowns, her stepmother and Cam left poor Tam alone in the house. Tam tearfully sorted the beans, knowing she could never finish them on time to catch up with the ball. But suddenly, the goddess of mercy came before her, turned the flies into sparrows, and sorted the beans in no time. Tam was then told to dig up the four jars she had buried underneath the corners of her bed. To her surprise, each jar contained an extravagant treasure of a beautiful silk dress, jewelry, golden slippers, and a lovely chariot. Haha, what once were your fish's remains are now useful items and accessories for the bull. Exactly. Mm-hmm, haha. Tam quickly dressed herself and the chariot swiftly rode to the palace doors. Unknowingly, she dropped a single slipper into the river. The slipper flowed along the river and made its way to the palace. Because Cinderella. One of the servants found it and took it to the king. That sucks as an explanation for it. Instantly taken by its marvel and beauty, the king proclaimed that any maiden in the celebration who can slip her foot perfectly into the slipper will be made his bride. I'm instantly taken by this marvel. It's much better than DC. Ha ha! (laughs) All of the ladies (laughs) hoped they would fit into the slippers, including Cam, but none of them succeeded. Then a woman in a beautiful silk dress appeared before the king, wearing a single slipper matching to that of the one in the king's hand. When the king placed the other slipper in her foot, it perfectly matched. The king knew he had found his queen. Mm. On that very night, the king married Tam, and a celebration was held for her honor. I'm sorry. Is the, is the unifying factor here that all cultures love feet? That we There's all actually gotta... still more to this story, so the oh. ending is not when they get married. All right, but I'm just still, I mean, my point still, still tracks. That we're all really into foots. Now a queen, Tam lives in the nice palace with her beloved king, while her jealous stepmother and stepsister stayed in their old house. On their day of her father's anniversary, Tam had to come home to do her filial duty, as in family duty. Hmm. Her cunning stepmother asked Tam to climb an arreca tree. Arreca? Ar- ar- it's like a... Arreca tree. It's like a, a minaret. How do you say it? No idea. Okay, well, it's A-R-E-C-A. Tree. To gather betel nuts and offer to her father's altar. Oh, the dad died. When did that happen? Ha ha! I am gone now! Ha Tam obeyed, and as she climbed the tree, the wicked stepmother chopped the tree down with an axe. Tam fell off and died. Eager to be queen, Cam put on her sister's royal garb and entered the palace to take her sister's place. It became much more of a slice-of-life story when people just start falling out of trees and dying. Tam. Tam. Longing for her beloved... Reincarnated into a beautiful nightingale and dwelt in the king's garden. Damn, that is a fucking sexy nightingale up there. While the king, disheartened over the loss of his beautiful queen, constantly yearned for Tam, he became quiet and went wanted to be left alone. One day, as he was wandering in his garden, the night Leave me be, I must yearn for Tam. The nightingale sang into the sweetest melody that captured the king's heart. Reminded of how lovely Tam sang, The king called out to the nightingale to land on the wide sleeves of his robe if she was the spirit of his late queen. What do you think that song sounded like? Not sure. Cause maybe (laughs) you gotta be the one that... No, I'm pretty sure this is the origin of Wonderwall. Mm -mm. Maybe Amber by 311? When the nightingale did exactly as the king said, he was so delighted, ordered for a golden cage to be placed beside his bed. There he spent his days beside the nightingale as it sang beautiful melodies to him. Cam, whom the king never became fond of, grew increasingly jealous of the bird. When the king was away one day, she took it from the cage, killed it, and buried it in the woods. As you do. 
Time passed. And a magnificent tree grew from the very spot where the nightingale was buried. It bore nothing but a single golden fruit of purely sweet scent. A poor old woman walked by one day and admired the fruit greatly. She begged for it to fall to her prom... And this is where the bird died. No, it was where Cam buried the corpse of the bird that was the reincarnated soul of Tam. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Wow, this, like Cinderella, is very cross-cultural. There are countless stories about, like, godheads dying and then growing into trees bearing, like, pungent fruit. Mm-hmm. In Egypt, that, Jesus did that. Osiris did that. That's fun. Cinderella did that. She promised not to eat it, but only to adore it, the apple, or whatever it is, the golden fruit. It's a sexy phrase. And indeed it fell to her, and she kept her promise. She placed the golden fruit on the table, not to eat it, but to only enjoy its sweet smell. When the old woman came home the next day, she was surprised to find the house tidy and a delicious hot meal waiting on the table for her. Curious to know who the kind-hearted person was that did such things, she pretended to leave the next day and stayed behind the door to wait and watch. To her, Here we go. To her amazement, the beautiful Tam came out of the golden fruit and started tidying the house. Quickly, the old woman tore up the fruit peel so she could no longer go back in it. Then she kept Tam like her own daughter, and they both lived in her house in the woods. One day, the king was hunting, and he noticed a very special smell of betel, which reminded him of the very same way that his late queen prepared it. He followed the smell, which eventually led him to the old woman's hut. Delighted to see the king, the old woman welcomed him and offered him some tea and betel. The king was amazed to find the betel prepared was done in the very peculiar way Tam had always prepared it, and he asked the old woman who had made them. When told that it was her daughter, the king ordered for her to be brought to him. Tam came and bowed to him, and it did not take long for the king to recognize her. Overjoyed, both of them wept, and Tam was immediately brought back to the palace and took her former place as the real queen. Cam, who was completely neglected by the king, saw how Tam was still beautiful as ever, with her hair still as gentle as the wind, and her skin still as fair as the clouds. In hope she would win the king's heart if she could be as beautiful as her sister, she begged Tam to reveal her secret for having such lovely fair skin. Tam told her sister to jump in a basin of boiling water. As you do. Cam believed her and did exactly as she said. She died a horrible death. Jesus fucking Christ. When her stepmother learned about what happened, she wept until she became blind. With no one left to wish her harm, Tam and the king finally lived happily ever after. No, that's not how you end a story. That's... What the fuck? Always with folktales. I like the ending. I know. The ending is the best part. It was undeniably the best part. But I'm just saying... That's the best part. Yeah, no, it was. Objectively. But I'm just saying, you can't just... End a story like that. Mm, but they did. That's the third story. That's the Vietnamese version. And this is all the three that I'm going to read. And then I'm just going to take a little bit of time to talk about my favorite modern versions of Cinderella. And then I'm going to go on a little rant about why I didn't use the Disney version and tell that story. Other than the fact that we've all heard it. Fuck a lot. So, modern version. Classic. Early 2000s, Cinderella story with Hilary Duff. Oh, God. Should I not summarize them? Is this a bad idea? <laughs> no. No, you do, you do it, baby. Go for it. Okay. Like, 
So, Hilary Duff, she's trying to get in college. She has to work for her stepmother. Finds out that she inherited the diner from her dead father in a letter, and her aunt-like f- friend from the cafe that she works at gives her a dress to go to the Halloween ball. She's accidentally already to perf- like befriended the prince character in an old-timey like chat room from the early 2000s. They meet, and then they go to college in an Ivy League together. Modern rendition. The other one, Ella Enchanted, book and movie. Book is better than movie, but movie is still good because it has Anne Hathaway in it. Lord. The book, original. Ella is cursed by a fairy to always obey every order. She can't resist it except by extreme subterfuge. She has a gift for languages and is super smart. She befriends the prince during childhood, but then she is sent away to a ladies' school. Makes a friend. Her enemy tells her to break up with her friend, so Ella walks away at night to avoid hurting her friend, and then goes to find the fairy who cursed her. That doesn't work out, but eventually she's cursed to kill the prince. She's able to break her own curse through, like, a moral... Like, her own inner strength, essentially. And then basically marry the prince, like, girl next door. So, modern. those are my favorite modern versions. So, to close. You might have assumed at the beginning that I would use the Disney version of Cinderella as a default. I'm going to take a classic ADD tangent to tell you why I absolutely did not do that. In the why form, didn't you do it? In the form of several critiques I have about Disney as a conglomerate. Firstly... The Disney version is apparently related to what, Tucker? What person? Charles Perrault? Great. That's the Disney version. Charles Perrault. Let's close that. Okay. So, I don't have sources for this diatribe that I'm about to give because it comes from sort of a lifetime of study. I'm excited for what's coming now. So, you can just do some fun Google searching. Some of them would be, like, racism and Disney, queer coding and Disney films, Disney and feminism, stuff like that. Fuck yeah, both barrels, baby. Give it to us. These are all conclusions that I've drawn as an educated person. Mm. So, <laughs> the Cinderella story, this is, this is reason number one why I didn't choose it. The Cinderella story and other princess tales were open intellectual property that Disney took to create their movies. They then buffed up the general copyright laws to make it difficult for other people to also profit off the tales they were arguably common knowledge beforehand. (coughs) Mulan! Yeah. I mean, Mulan, Snow White, all these things. Yeah, all of them, but... Yeah. Reason number two, which is like the main reason, it has four parts. Classic Disney movies are full of problematic, racist, sexist, and anti-LGBTQQIAPTUS plus imagery and propaganda. Here are some brief examples. Example yeah, A. Please, please, give me one example of a way Disney movies are <laughs> anyway problematic, Maddie. Come on. Snow White. The very idea that Snow White is beautiful because of her pale skin is upholding both colorism and white supremacy. This is a European tale in origin, so no surprises there. Maddie, no, she's just beautiful because of how white... Oh, fuck. Also in Snow White, the old crone who gives her the poison apple shows a lot of visual anti-Semitic imagery that the Nazis used in propaganda against Jewish folks. Reason B. The Aristocats. Oh. They really aren't even trying. No, 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 no. They're not even trying to hide it. No, are you going to bring up the Siamese? The only black cat is a character of an American black jazz musician. A Siamese cat is cast as Chinese and does a racist ditty with chopsticks on the piano. Yeah. The orange stray cat is an Irish stereotype of being redheaded, destitute, and general scallywag, and is named O'Malley. Well, that's fine, actually. O'Malley the alley cat. Yeah, as an Irish person, that's fine. Duchess is a pure white cat and is rich enough to inherit a mansion from her owner. I mean, 
You're really not even trying to hide it. Yeah. They fucked up. Need I explain? This is reason number three. Are we going to talk about cats? See, need I explain sexism in Disney princess movies? It asks femme people to be helpless and wait for a prince. Their choices are taken. Tiana is bold and capable as a black woman. So capable that they turn her into a frog for basically the entire movie so that we can't recognize that she's a black woman. They'd rather her be a frog. Cool. Reason number D. Several Disney villains like Hades... I'm sorry, baby, but you did just say reason number D, and I can't let you have that in the podcast because I will feel bad for you if that ever gets brought up again. (laughs) I hope this all stays in the recording, but please... Letter D? Yeah, reason number D can't remain. Reason D. Lastly, several Disney villains like Hades and Ursula are queer-coded. This means their speech and mannerisms are stereotypical of the LGBTQ plus community in subtle ways that the audience may pick up on, consciously or not. And they also have a fine membranous film of queer covering their body. Being queer is often seen as a crime, and therefore the villains are painted as queer. I don't think I need to say how damaging such propaganda could do internally to queer folks, nor can we know the full impact on the community as a whole on subconscious prejudice and violence. I think we can pretty easily extrapolate, though, on what kind of damage that's caused. Those are the reasons I don't think Disney should be the default for a global story like Cinderella. To be fair to Disney, which... We must always be fair. Oh, to Disney, though? They have put in more effort lately to have princesses okay. of color no, in no, recent no, years. No, 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 Maddie, Though I would still don't... say that they take agency from Maddie black characters too to easily. have this section. They own Marvel and have recently done Black Panther and Shang-Chi. Yeah, okay. Mulan is iconic, even though it's problematic. But what did they just do to Mulan? Luca is arguably a gay love story. They put a queer couple in Frozen. Maddie! They have a middle-grade TV show called Maddie. Outhouse, where the lead role is a femme Latinx Maddie. person who has a real le- lesbian love story that's no. openly discussed and depicted on a level of straight romance in this genre. You're doing the wrong... The Proud Family and Tia Tamara are classic Disney Channel things. Wholesome. Amazing. So I will still watch and pay money for things that I think are culturally beneficial from Disney, but I will not pay for things that I do not. So... This... Mm. You can still critique something... And acknowledge the positive impacts of that thing. That's true. It's a mark of critical thinking to balance out your own morality if Disney leans more towards good or evil. I think they lean towards more evil. Does that mean that I could ignore the whole cultural impact? Probably not. Certainly doesn't mean I do. I fucking love Marvel. I fucking love their shit. Exactly. It's it's something to grapple with, especially as someone that cares about these issues that we're discussing. Yeah, Maddie, you bring up really good points. I don't think... Cancel culture is beneficial if it's also reductionist. An example Mm. of this on a tangential example where we're going to get real. (laughs) Maddie's saying bring back Louis C.K. No. (laughs) I will. I can hear. I'm going to say the good thing first. (laughs) I can acknowledge. Maddie's pro Louis C.K. I can acknowledge that at least one bit that Louis C.K. did. Oh, shit. Whoa. One bit oh in his entire God. career. We are actually going into this? Was a good feminist argument and may have lit a light bulb in cis men to think about their privilege. Fuck me. Do I think that the positive things he did outweigh the sexual violence he committed to his female comedic peers? No. I think he no longer deserves to be 
in work to have a career. Brave. After doing it. Brave. Cancel culture can do its job here because, duh. However, I don't think, see, this is me, the way the world should work. I don't think that you should be a sexual predator or a criminal that hurts the weak and the small and other people and still have a, be filthy rich and still have a career. But it still freaking happens because we had Trump and we had Epstein and we have all these things. So, horrible. Whatever. Extension of the thing. My main point. Think for yourself. Also, listen to experts that stay in their lane, right? Stay in their lane. We don't need, like, neuroscientists talking about how to fly a rocket ship, right? Stay in your lane. I am... <laughs> I am... I, I think I understand where my host is going. Literally, nothing's black and white. Okay. I think I understand where <laughs> Maddie's going, and I approve of it, I believe. But that's why I didn't choose the Disney version. Good lord. Thank that was you so much for joining us tonight. Guess when I wrote that rant? It was at 4 a.m. Oh 4 a.m. I wrote that on my phone. You don't say. <laughs> that doesn't come across at all. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful and great. And I, thought I, you didn't, I thought you liked it. I did love it. But you don't like it. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. The fact that you're here again, episode nine. That's almost ten. We've That's almost a double-digit number. Nine weeks we've done this. <laughs> That's wild. She's got at 4 a.m. 4 in the morning writing rants that are powerful as shit and should be spoken from a podium through a blowhorn. But it's at the end of the episode, so many people aren't going to get to this part to listen to. You say that. I say that. You say that. But you're about to start an army. Anyway. I mean... I'm, I mean if you want to give us feedback or send us topics for discussion or fan art or corrections, anything, whatever the hell you want, you can send all of that to addstoryteller at gmail.com. Give us what you want. Shotgun it, but just fill my box with all your nasty, all your bits, whatever you want to send me. My wife. I'm going to be checking the email, so please filter yourself slightly. I will be reading it, though, so. I, I won't be. <laughs> Send me all your nasty shit. <laughs> Give it all. Thank you so much for your time and your support. I we like appreciate you. you. This has been Tucker. This has been. Maddie. That's my wife. We've been giving you ADD storytelling. Good night, everybody. May.